Hello and welcome to another episode of Kodo Cinema, the podcast show where I talk about movies. I'm your host, Mark Kodo, a.k.a. Kodo Man. Well, here we are, part two of Barbenheimer. And to conclude the two-part special of, um, Kodo, of Kodo Cinema, Barbenheimer, I'm going to talk about the Christopher Nolan biopic Oppenheimer. Now, before I break down the film, let me give my background on the production of Oppenheimer. The Oppenheimer film is based on the 2005 biography American American Prometheus by Kai Bird and Martin J. Sherwin. The film chronicles the career of of American physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer. The story predominantly focuses on Oppenheimer's studies, his direction of the Manhattan Project during World War II, and his eventual fall from grace due to his 1954 security hearing. Now, following the 2005 publication of the biography American Prometheus, director Stan Mendes, who was one of the original who was one of the original directors of this film, who was going to direct this this film, was interested in adapting the book into a film, although the project failed to materialize and the book was optioned by various filmmakers over the next 15 years. Which, uh, which, uh, which also brings in Christopher Nolan to direct the film. Now, the film itself has an all-star cast that includes Killian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Florence Poog, Matt Damon, Kenneth Branagh, and Robert Downey Jr. The film itself was filmed in a combination of IMAX 65mm and 65mm large format film, including sections in IMAX black and white film photography. Nolan also used practical effects and minimal CGI, or computer-generated imagery. Oppenheimer is distributed by Universal Pictures instead of Warner Brothers, and the reason behind it because of Nolan's disagreement on how Warner Brothers was going to release the 20, their 2021 films on HBO Max at the same time as in theaters, and, fa- and failing to communicate with anyone, including the cast and crew involved with the 2021 films, that were going to be released in theaters and online at the same time from Warner Brothers. So Christopher Nolan has done a lot of films with Warner Brothers, most notably the Dark Knight trilogy, um, Dunkirk, and of course a few other films as well, including Tenet and Interstellar. So so the, so there's there's so there are some of some of Christopher Nolan's films that he did with with uh, with Warner Brothers, including Exception as well. So this will be so uh, this is the first Christopher Nolan film to be distributed by Universal Pictures. The film was released on July twenty first, twenty twenty three, the same day as Barbie, which uh, which received critical acclaim. Now for Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer, the film itself also received critical acclaim as well. Now, basically, going into the film, how is this film be receiving critical acclaim? Well, because, well, obviously, first of all, first of all, come on, it, it's Christopher Nolan. You know what? You know what he's gonna. You you know what Christopher Nolan's gonna bring to his films. Of course, the it, it was praised for the casting for the cast performances, particularly from uh, Cillian from Killian Murphy, Emily Blunt, and Robert Downey Jr. Screenplay, the direction for Nolan, cinematography. Including the musical score by Ludwig Gorsen as well, especially the sound designs and visuals. Some critics called it Nolan's magnum opus. 
and and has frequently be, been cited as one of the best films of 2023 up to this point. Now, like I said, this came out the same day as uh, Barbie, and Barbie has already made over a billion dollars. And as for uh, Oppenheimer, so far it has made over $800 million. So Oppenheimer's coming up a little bit close up there. So there, there's something right there. <laughs> so so there's something right there. And the film, the film's budget. Now, uh, the film's budget in the Oppenheimer. Now, uh, the film's budget is $100 million. That's the budget of the film. And so far it has, it has grossed over $800 million. That is huge money right there for Christopher Nolan. Well, not as huge as the as the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises, but at the same time, it's getting up there. So, with that being said, so with that being said, let let's so that being said, let's conclude the two part Barbenheimer special, the two part Barbenheimer special for Code Cinema by breaking down the Oppenheimer film. Also, spoiler alert. Now, the opening of the film shows a fiery explosion of the atomic bomb. And for the most part, it is, it is, it is a haunting opening, a haunting and emotional opening as well. Because, at this, because, because you're seeing a fire, you're seeing like fire, a fiery explosion, which resembles the atomic bomb. That, it resembles, it resembles the atomic bomb. But also at the same time, you have Ludwig Gorsen providing an emotional an emotional music background especially from the string section as well like what you hear in the background from Ludwig Gorsen's emotional music as it shows like it it really captures the emotional aspect of the film which does lead into uh, Oppenheimer's regret as well like he, like his full on regret now, flash forward to 1926, 22-year-old doctoral student uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer, being played by, by Killian Murphy, he's in Cambridge, looks down on the ground in the rain with rain droplets hitting the puddles, creating small waves. Now, now, that, now that moment right there where, where Oppenheimer's looking down at the puddle while it's raining and the rain and the rain and the raindrop, rain droplets are hitting the puddles, creating small waves. That is a symbolism of the shock waves of the atomic bomb. So there's your little symbolism right there, if you know, if you know, if you know what I'm saying. Like the rain droplets hitting the hitting the puddle, creating small waves, symbolizes like the shock waves of the atomic bomb. Now, J. Robert Oppenheimer, who is in Cambridge, who's in Cambridge studies under experimental physicist Patrick Blackett at the Cavendish Laboratory in Cambridge. Now, for Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer suffers from homesickness and anxiety and struggles during the, the required lab work. Now, now with the, with the reason, now another reason behind it is that Oppenheimer is upset with Blackett, with the demanding Blackett, like, like he's demanding, he, like he, Blackett gives out too many demands for Oppenheimer. And what Oppenheimer does is he leaves him a poison laced apple for uh, Blackett. Now, that's true. That's true because in real life, uh, when Oppenheimer was in college, Oppenheimer Oppenheimer put in a um, 
put in put in put in the apple some type of poison. Now it's it's very unclear what the poison was in real life in real life, but in the movie it turns out that he that Oppenheimer was using a like a poison laced cyanide that like like this like he uses a poison poison laced cyanide and puts it in the apple. So so that was and that was that was what was what was used in the movie. Now, in real life, as I mentioned, we don't know what we a lot of people don't really know what 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 the what the poison was in real life. I mean, but for the movie, it's basically a poison laced cyanide that was being injected into the apple. But but unfortunately, but fortunately, Oppenheimer was able to retrieve it only for um visiting scientist Niels Bohr, being played by Kenneth Branagh. Who comes to visit and is impressed enough by Oppenheimer's intellect to recommend that he should study theoretical phys physics in Germany, where Oppenheimer completes his PhD. Now, uh, now of course, um, now of course, uh, Neil Niels Bohr was holding the apple in his hand. He was about to eat it, but Oppenheimer smacks the apple out of his hand. To to the Oppenheimer smacks smacks the apple out of uh, out of Neil's board out, out of Bohr's hand to the surprise to the surprise of the three in the room. Now, now Niels was close to eating the apple, and I'm and it's and and Oppenheimer smacking the apple out of out of Neil's hand, like like he he while he was a, well that's just that's just a life saving moment. But at the same time, at the same time, and let me tell you this. Um, in in real life, Oppenheimer, uh, in real life, the university found out about the poison laced apple. So apparently, Oppenheimer was almost expelled. He almost got expelled from the university. So and this this basically and this basically brought into the attention of Oppenheimer's parents, who intervened to prevent Oppenheimer from being expelled. So the young scientist was put on probation and sentenced to mandatory psychiatric counseling. So, so in real life, Oppenheimer almost got expelled. In real life, in real life, for putting in the poison, putting in the uh, poison laced apple, and the university found out about it. Nobody ate that apple. Nobody ate the apple, but they found out. But but they but they found out about it, and Oppenheimer was almost expelled. He was placed on probation. And needed to go to mandatory counseling. Now, upon now, Oppenheimer returns to the United States, wanting to expand quantum physics research in the United States. He begin he begins teaching at the University of California, Berkeley, and the California Institute of Technology, starting with one student. He meets his future wife, Catherine Kitty Pewing, being played by uh, Emily Blunt. Who is a bio biologist and ex-communist? So, so um, Oppenheimer was met uh, met his future wife, Kath, met, met his future wife, Catherine Pewing. But before that, before that, um, Oppenheimer met met Jean Tatlock, who's being played by Florence Pugh, and Jean Tatlock is a member of the Communist Party in Communist Party USA. Now. Interesting enough. Interesting enough. Um, Oppen. Uh, interesting enough. Um, 
Oppenheimer and Tathlock had a relationship. Yes, uh, Gene and Gene Tathlock and 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 Oppenheimer had a had a relationship. Like in real life, Gene began to see Robert Oppenheimer in 1936 when she was a graduate student and Oppenheimer was a professor of physics at Berkeley, and. Um, and as I mentioned, uh, Gene was also a uh, communist. Was also a member of the Communist Party for the U for the U.S. at the time, at, at the time, and um, and they had they they had a they they started a relationship, but also at the same time, Tatlock struggled with her uh, sexy sexuality at the at that at that at that moment as well. Also leading to a moment where. Um, where um where we're also leading to a moment where uh Gene was showing uh Oppenheimer a Sanskrit I am become death, which is basic basically the the famous quote that that Robert Oppenheimer says, Now I am become I'm become death, the destroyer of worlds. Like I, I the destroyer of worlds, wow. I mean Words like that, I know some people always say no words describe that moment, but hearing this, hearing this quote, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds, from Rob, J. Robert Oppenheimer, that really says something. And of course, uh, this moment came when uh, um, Oppenheimer was, was, in, was sleeping in bed with uh, Gene Tathlock. And yes, yes, as I, yes, yes. Uh, Oppenheimer did slept with uh, Gene Tatlock. Well, in the well, in the film, Gene showed uh, Oppenheimer the Sanskrit of the fame of like of this famous quote from, forgive my mispronunciation, Bhagavad Gita, which is basically the the Sanskrit that that Gene had in her hand in the film with the famous with that quote. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. That really says something, right? That really, really says something right there. So, so then, so then, uh, so then, uh, later, so then later on, um, Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer obviously will meet up with, uh, Kit, will obviously meet up with Kitty. And, uh, Kitty, Kitty was married to, uh, was, was also, was married, was a married woman. So, um, so, and, and, Ki and Kitty was married to Richard Stewart Harrison. Kitty married Robert the the old-fashioned way by 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 Robert getting Kitty pregnant. So yeah, wow, that's pretty messed up. Yeah, yeah, wow, that's <laughs> yeah, wow, that is oh yes, yes. So um, wow, Oppenheimer with Gene Tathlog and now um with uh, Kitty. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow, woof. Woof, but 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 uh, Robert uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer did it the old-fashioned way, I guess. Woof. Oh, oh, wow, yeah. Woof. So um, so so for Kitty now, Kitty Kitty uh, divorced um, uh, her husband her husband Richard Stewart Harrison, and the divorce itself was finalized on November first, nineteen forty. And Kitty married Oppenheimer the following day in a civil civil ceremony in Virginia City, Nevada, with the court janitor and clerk as witnesses. 
Now, as for Gene, so you're probably wondering, what happened with Gene Tatlock? Well, as I mentioned, she met Oppenheimer while she, she, was, she was a graduate student, and Oppenheimer was a, was a professor at the time in Berkeley. And Jean struggled with her sexuality to the, to, to the point where she thought she was a homosexual. Although logically she can't be due to her, although logically she can't be due to her unmasculinity. Now, of course, uh, the film does go back and forth between, uh, between everything that's going on, from uh, Oppenheimer's relationships with uh, Gene and Kitty to the building of the atomic bomb, including the, uh, the government side of things, where we see uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, um, and his character, his character's name is, his character's name is Louis Strauss, and um, and Louis Strauss and Louis Strauss, he 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 played a huge role in the atomic. He played a huge role during 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 the whole atomic bomb situation, and one of the original members of the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission, and he served as the commission's chairman in the 1950s. He played a major role in the development of the nuclear weapons after World War II. Nuclear, nuclear energy policy and nuclear power in the United States. Now, now of course, now of course, he is considered to, now he is one of the main driving forces behind the controversial hearings for Robert, for J. Robert Oppenheimer. So there's something right. So there's something right there. And, um, and now, now going, now going back to, now going back, now, go, now basically going back, um, going back to the film, in 1938, Nazi Germany's progress in nuclear fission research spurs Oppenheimer and his colleagues to replicate the results. Leo Zillard and Albert Einstein then write to President Franklin D. Roosevelt, warning of the atomic weapon, weaponry's catastrophic potential. And in 1942, amid World War II, U.S. Army General Les Leslie Groves and Leslie Gro Leslie Groves, the gen the uh, general the uh, general is being played by Matt Damon, who is an officer and a, and a direct and the director of the Manhattan Project. And this is where he leads the Manhattan Project to develop an atomic bomb after Oppenheimer's assurances that he has no communist sympathies. Oppenheimer, who is Jewish, is particularly driven by the Nazis potentially complete, by potentially completing their nuclear weapons program, headed by Heisenberg. Oppenheimer assembles a scientific team, including Edward Teller and Isidore Isaac Rabi, in Los in Los Alamos, New Mexico, to secretly to secretly create the bomb. Now the town itself, Los Al, Al, Al Los Alamos. Now that was a built set. They actually built the set. They actually built the set. There's not that many. There's there's not a whole lot of CGI in this movie to let you all know. Like when you when it comes to Chris, to uh, Christopher Nolan movies, like you know that Christopher Nolan's gonna go for like a to, for a practical route. And of course, you know, there's probably going to be some CGI, a little bit of CGI. Like he uses very little CGI for 
most of, for uh, a lot of his movies. Like very little, mostly practical effects, very little CGI. And and of course the town itself, Los Alamos, is a built set. And and of course Oppenheimer also collaborates with scientists Enrico Fermi and David L. Hill. He and Einstein discuss how an atomic bomb potentially risks triggering an unstoppable chain reaction that could ignite atmosphere and destroy the world. Now, for the first um, two hours of the movie, like the like like we go into the into the one well actually in the first two hours, the first hour is just basically um, Oppenheimer's uh, part of Oppenheimer's backstory of him going to college while also meeting up with uh, Gene Tatlock and and his future wife Kitty like and then the other hour is just and then the second hour is just basically going into the process of building the atomic bomb so there so and that's literally like that's like that's like you're in a 2 hour zone right now like the second hour is just basically the building of the atomic bomb and it really does show and and Christopher Nolan does a pretty good job with it but it also does go back and forth between uh, between Robert Downey Jr.'s character and and the whole uh, discussion and the whole discussion of the atomic of the atomic bomb as well. And and on top of that, when we get to the moment when we get to the moment where um where, where we get to the moment where they're gonna test the atomic bomb in in Los Alamos. Like we see, like we like it was done during the night. Like during the night, it was done during the night. Well, actually, not well. Technically, it was done during the night, but it was also done very early morning, dawn, when the sun was set. The sun was still set, and this was like after a rainstorm. And of course, and of course, uh, this leads up to a a moment where everybody started to get right. Everybody started to move far, far away. Everybody was about to test the bomb. Who's about to test the bomb? Started to move out of the way. Go for go for cover. Get on the other side. This was done in an open field, by the way. They did the test. They did the test. The the atomic bomb test on an open field. Now, what really happens is everybody was trying to go for cover. One guy was inside a car, and of course, like somebody was asking, like, "What's going on?" And this other guy was like, "It's a it's a windshield wiper. UV rays. UV rays can't." can't get get to me in through this and then you have one other guy who's sitting in a uh what looks to be a who's sitting in a chair starts putting on sunblock and wearing goggles and then the person who dropped the bomb now the person who dropped the bomb is uh none is the person who who pressed the button to drop the bomb and that person was kenneth bambridge who is a physicist who was the director of the manhattan's project trinity nuclear test and he was played by uh, Josh Peck. Josh Peck played a played the guy who pressed the button to drop the atomic bomb. And of course, and of course, once it happened, you see you see the explosion, the fiery explosion, and it's silent. You you hear nothing. You hear nothing after after the drop, after the drop and the hit. You hear nothing for a little bit. On top of that, even before that, the music from Ludwig Gorson adds the suspense of what we're going to see in this moment. The dropping of the atomic bomb. Like the music builds up, builds the suspense. 
leading up to the final moment when Kenneth Brambridge dropped the bomb. Like, when, when Kenneth Brambridge pressed the button to drop the bomb, when he dropped, when the bomb was dropped, you hear nothing. All you, you hear nothing. And when, and the, because they're out in the dis, they're, they are far out in the, they are far out from the, from the danger zone. They are far out from the danger zone. Like, like so many miles and yards from that zone. Like you see a fiery explosion, until the moment where the shockwaves come in, boom, exp boom, you hear the explosion. And and this was done using some visual effects. Like Christopher Nolan recreated that moment for the viewers to see. And he done it so well. And everybody even cheered on the moment that like this was a success. They did it. Like they did. So this was a success. They were able to create a weapon. They were able to create a weapon that could ignite the atmosphere and destroy the world. After so, then later on, after Germany surrenders, some project scientists question the bomb's relevance, and Oppenheimer says the bomb will end the war in the Pacific. The Trinity test is successful, and President Harry S. Truman, who's being played by Gary Oldman, orders Hiroshima and uh, Na and uh, Nagasaki to be bombed, forcing Japan's surrender, and Oppenheimer is thrust into the public eye as the father of the atomic bomb. Wow, you, you, I mean, quotes like, I am now become death, the destroyer of worlds. And of course, another quote, father of the atomic bomb. Do you know how, do you know those types of names like that? You don't, like, think about it. Like, for someone who has created a weapon like that, like, that is crazy to be called someone like that. Father of the atomic bomb, or even I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Those two quotes is basically Oppenheimer himself who created the weapon, the weapon that literally took out, that literally took out two, that literally took out uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And 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 with that, and with that from Oppenheimer himself. That is, that is, that is, that is like, that is history coming to life. That is history coming to life. Wow. Now, now, of course, um, now, of course, we get to, now, of course, actually, well, now, of course, you're all probably wondering, well, why am I, okay, you're all probably wondering, uh, now, you're all probably wondering, what happened? What really? What happened after that? What's the end result? What's the end result of all of this? Well, well, for those who know your history, for those who basically know your history, and I'll admit, I'm not a huge history buff. I'm not. A, I'm not a huge history buff when it comes to like uh, going into history. But, but Oppenheimer, when he was when Oppenheimer was presenting his speech inside a school, he envisioned the aftermath of the atomic bomb. He sees a, and you're probably wondering, well, what visions, what, what's going on? What does he see? He sees a woman's face peeling off, white flashes, people screaming, and you even see dead bodies disintegrated. You even, you even get a uh, what, what, a, what, a, what sounds like, sounds like a train chugging its way to the station. 
But no, it's actually the people uh, stomping their feet. Like, you hear, um, you hear the chugging sound in the background. In the background, that is a good sound effect right there. Like, that's a good sound effect that Christopher Nolan just put it, that put Christopher Nolan used in the film. Like, a chugging sound effect that almost sounds like as if, as if a train was chugging by, but it's just basically, um, it's just basically the, the people's feet stopping on the ground. But it does add to the tension. It adds to the tension and suspense of the atomic bomb as well. Now, of course, um, Oppenheimer and Truman met at the White House. And as I mentioned, Gary Oldman plays Truman. And I will admit, the, the Oppen uh, Gary Oldman playing Truman, even though it was a cameo, it was actually pretty good. In fact, uh, my uh, little brother went to see this movie, and when it got to, when it got to the part where uh, Oppenheimer talks with Truman, he was like, "I know that guy. I know this Truman, but that guy looks looks familiar. Who do I, how do I know this guy?" Well, it turns out it's Gary Old. Like I said, it's Gary Oldman, who who plays Truman in this movie, and Gary Oldman has played Commissioner Gordon in in the Dark Knight trilogy from uh, Christopher Nolan. So Christopher Nolan knows his actors very well when it comes to like uh, collaboration as well. Even Kenneth Branagh as Niels Bohr. He, I know Kenneth Branagh wasn't in the film as much, but he played. He did a good job. This is also um, Niels Bohr does appear before before the, the 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 testing of the atomic bomb. Like like he realizes like he knows something's going on. He know he knows that. Oppenheimer is about to do something that would change the world. He knows something's up. Even Albert Einstein himself as well. Now, of course, uh, going back to Oppenheimer and Truman, Oppenheimer urges Truman to restrict further nuclear weapon development. Truman, Truman reje rejects Oppenheimer's advice, considering him weak. And when Truman... And when Oppenheimer leaves, leaves the office, Truman even calls Oppenheimer a crybaby. That's true. Truman called Oppenheimer a crybaby because Oppenheimer is now regretting the decision of dropping the atomic bomb because it killed a lot of people. Of course, this leads up to the, um, the end of the two-hour mark that goes into the last hour of the film. The film, like, this is a three-hour film, by the way. Like, Oppenheimer is a three-hour film. This leads up to the um, last hour of the film where, where uh, Oppenheimer is now facing is now facing a hearing. Now this is the uh, infant. Now this is basically the um, the Oppenheimer security hearing, and this uh, took place in 1954, a four, which is basically a four-week hearing conducted by the United States Atomic Energy Commission which explored the background, actions, and associations of J. Robert Oppenheimer, the American scientist who had headed the Los Alamos Laboratory during, the, during World War II, where he played a key part in the Manhattan Project and the development of the atomic bomb. Now, this whole hearing that was going on in the film resulted in Oppenheimer's Q clearance being revoked. And it also marked the end of his formal relationship with the government of the United States. And it generated considerable controversy 
regarding whether the treatment of Oppenheimer was fair or whether it was an expression of anti-communist McCarthyism. As I mentioned, there is definitely mentions of, communis of communism in this film. And of course, this whole, this whole hearing was organized by none other than Louis Strauss, who is basically being played by Robert Downey Jr. And I'm going to tell you this, Robert Downey Jr., he did a fantastic job playing this, play, playing Louis Strauss. Like, this is one of his first films to appear in a long time. Like, he first, like, he appeared in, like, his one of his latest films that, that Robert Downey Jr. appeared was, um, was the Dr. Doolittle, was the Dr. Doolittle, was the Dr. Doolittle movie, Doolittle. Like, like, that was one of his uh, latest films. That was one of his latest films, and that film came out in 2020. And now three years later, now three years later, he plays Louis Strauss in the in Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. And and I will say this: he played, he did a fantastic job. To be fair, though, he did real, he did, he he did exploit, he did exploit Oppenheimer's past associations with. Communist Party members, like as I mentioned, like Kitty, like uh, Kitty and Jean were definitely uh, members of the Communist Party. Although um, it was mentioned that Kitty did, um, like, like it was mentioned that Kitty did was a part of uh, of the Communist Party, but now she's considered an ex-communist. And uh, speaking of Gene Tatlock, um, Gene, like it was also brought up that Gene Tatlock, even that Gene Tatlock, took her own life in uh, nineteen in uh, nineteen forty four. So, so what really happened was, and this was brought up during uh, Oppenheimer's and Oppenheimer's uh, security here during the whole. Uh, testimonial during this whole whole ordeal that Tatlock experienced clinical depression at the at the at the time at the time at the time prior to prior to her death and uh, she she hung that she and Oppenheimer met up at a hotel room for the very last time and it was during a scene where um it was during that scene where Oppenheimer and Gene Tatlock were basically uh, were basically seeing each other one last time. Now, of course, now of course, uh, to mention this, yes, um, yes, uh, it, it is a very um, Oppenheimer and Gene in that scene. They were both nude in that scene, like they were both not wearing any clothes, but. But what I found out in, in in another version for another country, for in another in, in another version in another country, um, a CGI dress, a, a a black CGI dress was put in for uh, Gene Tatlock during the whole uh, ho during the during the hotel seat during the ho during the hotel room scene. Where uh, Oppenheimer and uh, Tatlock are having their final conversation. Now that scene, where uh, now that scene, that edited scene where uh, Florence Pugh has a CGI black dress, that was that was that that is 
that is played in the Indian and Middle Eastern countries for, for their movie theaters. And, um, and, uh, that's, and, um, and I don't know what the, and the reason behind it, I don't know the reason behind, well, actually, the reason behind it is because, uh, India and the Middle East don't allow that type of content to play in theaters. So, like, like, so, uh, like most movies that feature explicit, explicit sex or nudity, sources close to the film confirm those scenes, that the, some scenes were, that some scenes that featured, um, uh, um, uh, Oppenheimer, 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 and G. Tatlock being nude, being nude, like those scenes were censored to secure a release in countries such as India and the Middle East, which don't allow that type of content to play in the theaters. So that's the reason. So that's basically the reason behind it. And I didn't know about this. I didn't know about this whole ordeal prior when the when the film was first released. I mean, I didn't know about this. But of course, after but of course, going back to the film, after the after uh, the final conversation, Jean uh, Jean took her own life. Took her own life. Like she, what she did was she 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 died. She submerged her head in a in a in a bathtub filled with water, and of course. And of course, she has a pile of cushions in the bathroom, and she submerged her head in the party-filled bathtub. And there was an un, un an unsigned an unsigned suicide note. And this and that, and that's basically what happened. And of course, her father found her found her dead in the dead with her head submerged in the bathtub. That is. That is that is so sad. That is so sad. And this this whole entire situation was brought up during the during the whole security hearing. Even Kitty heard of it. Even Kitty realized this whole situation too. Like there was even another there was even another moment where where it's a vision. Where it's a vision of Gene and Oppenheimer making out with each other as if they were as if they were doing this as if, as if they were doing this in real life. And when I mean by doing it, I am talking about doing it. If you know what I'm saying. And and they showed that. They showed that whole vision of Kitty. Kitty seeing the seeing her vision of, of Jean and Oppenheimer with with Jean sitting on top. Sit, sitting on Oppenheimer. And they're both nude. Like, and she's and this is this is this is just a vision, by the way. This was just a this was just a vision, by the way. And it's so messed up. It's so messed. It's a messed up moment, knowing the fact that um that the whole security hearing that they they brought up uh Oppenheimer's personal relationships, that is messed up. Of course, uh, leading up to uh, different, um, of course, uh, leading up to uh, different moments where. Of course, this does lead up to um, this. This does lead up to um, a mo this does lead up to a to a moment where where Strauss um, where Strauss Senate confirmation where where we see Strauss at at a at a secretary hearing where where this is a confirmation hearing for Secretary of Commerce 
Hill testifies about Strauss's personal mo motives in engineering Oppenheimer's downfall. Now, this is Hill. Hill, like his name, like Hill's, well, her, Hill's first name is, um, is David. So David L. Hill, and he's a nuclear physicist at the Met Lab who helped create the Chicago, the, who helped create the Chicago Pile, which is basically um, the world's first artificial nuclear reactor. Now, uh, David L. Hill is being played by Rami Malek, and um, he and he he testifies about Strauss's personal motives in engineering Oppenheimer's downfall, and the U.S. Senate votes against Strauss's nomination, and Strauss privately rants. He privately he, Strauss privately rants that Oppenheimer schemed against him. So technically, yes, Oppenheimer was Oppenheimer's made a huge scheme. Like, like Strauss might have, even though Strauss, even though Strauss destroyed Oppenheimer's reputation, but Oppenheimer came back to um, to to have the Senate vote against Strauss's nomination. Even his even Strauss Strauss's assistant. And Strauss has and Lewis Strauss has an assistant, and and his assistant is being is is the is being played by Alden Enrich. Now his assistant now this is now Alden Enrich's character. He's a fictional character who's in who is an aide during Strauss's nomination for United States Secretary of Commerce. He appeared throughout the throughout the throughout the majority of the film. Now the scenes with Stra the scenes between Oppenheimer and Strauss, like Strauss's scenes are are mostly black and white, which also include which included Alden Enrich's character. The same and uh and uh, Oppenheimer's scenes are, are are in color. So I like that little um so I like that little little bit of, of a connection right there. I like that little bit of a con I like that continuity right there between um uh Oppenheimer and Strauss. Both actors, so Killian Murphy and Robert Downey Jr., they played their characters very well. They did a fantastic job. I believe um, Killian Murphy and uh, Robert Downey Jr. they might get Oscar nominations for this role. Those two definitely deserve Oscar Oscar nominations right there. So, so you're probably wonder. So you're probably wondering, okay, what happened to the whole? Um, ordeal so what happened to the whole ordeal how did it end so what happened to the whole ordeal well it turns out the loss of well of course Oppenheimer lost lost his security clearance for lost his security clearance for in the government and policy he became an academic exile cut off from his former for, former career and the role when the role he had helped to create but the reputation of those who had testified against Oppenheimer they were tarnished as well, though Oppenheimer's reputation was later partly rehabilitated by Presidents John F. Kennedy and, and, and London B. Johnson. The brief period when scientists were viewed as a, and I quote, public policy priesthood and ended and thereafter would serve the state only to offer narrow scientific opinions. Scientists working in government were on notice that dissent, that dissent was no longer tolerated. Now, 
of course now now of course this leads up to the ending where uh, President Johnson presents Oppenheimer with the Enrico Fermi Award award which was which was presented in 1963 as a gesture of political rehabilitation it is and it's also revealed that oppenheimer and einstein's earlier conversation was never about strauss but 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 the far-reaching implications of nuclear weapons and oppenheimer fears the nuclear age could potentially ravage the planet and the film ends with with a close-up of oppenheimer's face all depressed the music from ludwig gorson's playing in the background as the as the camera even slowly zooms in for a little bit on Oppenheimer's face, all depressed, and then it cuts to black, and that's it. That's the that's the end of the movie. That's Oppen and that's the end of the movie for Oppenheimer. And holy smokes, that is that is something. Now, now I will say this: I actually enjoyed this movie. For the most part, it is it, it was a very good film, and I really really enjoyed this movie. Now, a lot of people said said that this film should have the, the film should have stopped after the top dropping of the top bomb. Now, to be fair though, I can understand where some people were saying like this is where the film should have stopped. It should have stopped after the whole dropping of the atomic bomb. But of course, when you really think about it, the film is based on Oppenheimer's. Oppenheimer's life of where how of how he started and where he is where and where he is after the atomic bomb now now I can understand why Christopher Nolan uh, did, went with that because we because because if history if, if for anybody who remembers the history uh, the the whole uh, test the whole security hearing with Oppenheimer did play a huge role especially with the whole atomic bomb situation as well so that probably explains why, why this film film was uh, was was three hours, and for overall, I think this film was very good. I I believe this film will definitely get nominated for many for uh, Oscars if it does. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Killian Murphy are definitely will will probably get nominated. I would love to see Christopher Nolan get nominated again, even Ludwig Gorson as well, like. The music for Ludwig Gorson is so emotional. There's even a moment where uh, Ludwig Gorson's music does go into a bit of a mind trip, where where it sounds like you are you're seeing different particles inside the particles of like of science and matter, and of course, and of course, the physics side of things as well. If you know the music, if you know what I'm talking, if you know the moment that I'm talking about, like, like the moment is like the moment. It's the moment where it's like if it's played earlier on in the movie, like, like you hear that music from Ludwig Gorson, like, like I know, I know people are probably gonna hear the, the you, people do hear the, the the depressing like music at the beginning, but it does go into that whole. Um, but it does go into that whole ordeal where some like where it does where it does go into a bit of a whole quantum physics like moment is which is basically called can you hear the music that is the that is the name of the of the of the music of the moment 
that is, that is the that is the name of the moments where can you hear the music where it goes into different directions or of see of of seeing of like seeing particles particles of science and matter even the quantum physics of it you can actually when you play this when you play this track can you hear the music you can listen to that with your eyes closed and 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 envision and envision the whole quantum physics of it the fission the fission track that is played in the beginning of the film that is basically the emotional part of the movie that is so emotional and that was the violin and that was used by and that and the string section played that moment it's so it's so emotion so emotional envisioning the horror and terror of the atomic bomb as well and and he did a good job ludwig gorson did a good job with the music for for this movie this is the second collaboration with christopher nolan and i would love to see ludwig gorson write another score for for another christopher nolan movie like christopher nolan did a fantastic job with this movie and and for everybody else involved with this movie, everybody else did a fantastic job as well. I Robert Downey Jr. and Killian Murphy they did a fantastic job. Emily Blunt did did well did a good job as well. Same with Florence, same with Florence Pugh. And of course, uh, I know some of the supporting characters don't get that whole. Much. I know, I know, I I, I know some of the, I know some of the supporting characters had minor roles, but I did enjoy. I I enjoyed Kenneth Branagh's. Um, Kenneth Branagh's role, including Rami Malek's role, even Josh Peck. I was surprised Josh Peck was in this movie. Even even Alden en even Alden Enric as well. Alden Alden Enric, who played um, Han Solo in the Han Solo movie, he did a fantastic job as playing 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 the uh, playing uh, Louis Strauss's aide in this movie. Like he did a he did a pretty good job. I know there were other cast members as well, but. For, 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 for what for what it's worth. Oh, and I also forgot to mention Matt Damon. Matt Damon as the general. He did he did a fantastic job. I I really liked their mom the moments between um Oppenheimer and the general. Like Matt Damon and Sil and Killian Murphy, they they both did a fantastic job as well. Like Matt Damon really put up put up a good performance as the general for the role of the atomic bomb as well. But other than that, other than that, I mean, I mean, that's probably it. That's not much. That's probably it. That's not much else to say about this movie. This movie was very good. I know everybody's gonna have different opinions about this film, and you know what? That's that's all right. I that's okay. I mean, I know now everybody's a history buff, but at the same time, this movie really is good. Can you imagine how different this movie would have been if it was not directed by Christopher Nolan? Can you imagine? How different the Oppenheimer movie would have been without the direction of Christopher Nolan. I think I know the reason why the Oppenheimer movie did well. One, one of the and one of the main reasons is is Christopher Nolan. Like Christopher Nolan, when you think of Christopher, like you hear a name like Christopher Nolan, what do you think? What do you think of when it comes to Christopher Nolan? You think of the Dark Knight trilogy. You also think of Exception. You also think of Dunkirk. Even Interstellar, heck, Tenet as well. 
even though Tenet is not Nolan's best work, but it was a, but it was an okay, but it was one of his okay works. But you know, at the same time, at the same time, he's a pretty big name, and he has done he has done these films. He has become one a he has become an acclaimed director, a critically acclaimed director, and he did a fantastic job with Oppenheimer. I mean, without Oppen without Christopher Nolan, this film would have been different. This film would have been different without Oppen without without Christopher Nolan. And that's probably the reason why it it did so well. And this was and I know I know a lot of people are probably gonna say, well I thought I thought it was the story. I thought it was the cast. Yes. Yes, or even the visuals, the music, sure. Yes. That that too. But Having Christopher Nolan on board on that having having Christopher Nolan on board really helped elevate the film, and of course, and of course the box office as well. It really did pretty. It really it is really it is doing well at the box office to say. And overall, Oppenheimer is a pretty is a very good film. Sure, it may be long, but at the same time, I enjoyed this film. I know a lot of people are going to enjoy this film, and you know, hey, they'll have different opinions on this, and that's totally fine. I understand that. But other than that, that wraps up my episode. And of course, concludes the Kodo Cinema Barbenheimer spe two-part special. So, there you have it, folks. Now, what do you think of, of the Barbenheimer phenomenon? Did you thought it was Did you thought it was fun? Did you thought it was a fun phenomenon? Do you think there might be another phenomenon in the in the future where um, where two different movies competing against each other are going to come out on the same day. I would like to hear your thoughts if that's ever going to happen. If that's ever going to happen in the future. But under that, that wraps up this episode. And uh, let me know. And let me know. And if I'm missing out on anything from this boot from the Oppenheimer movie, please let me know. I please let me know. Comment below if you're listening. If you are listening to this podcast and if you're on, and if I'm missing out on, on some things from this episode. Comment below. Just comment, comment, comment below. But other than that, that wraps up this episode. Thank you all for tuning in to Kodo Cinema. I'm your host, Mark Kodo, aka Kodo Man. Remember to watch movies and stay positive.